0: So throughout the Church of the United States, last weekend and this, we're celebrating the Feast of St. Phoebe. St. Phoebe was a um, companion to Paul, the Apostle. And he calls her part of the Diaconia. Whether that meant that she was actually a deacon or just served in some important capacity in the early church... She had a voice, and for so too long my brothers and sisters, the voice of women are not heard in this church, and I admit that to you, and I'm sorry about that. So today, at every Mass, throughout our day on Sunday, after a short little reflection from the celebrant, we're asking one of our great women of our community to get up and to give a reflection on the Gospel. So Jenny Haggard is going to do ours today, so we're in luck. Because she's the best we've got, for sure. So, the gospel. I tell you, I, I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, you know, to, to, if someone sins, to, 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 to talk to them, okay? If they don't listen, then bring a few more people, so that there's some witnesses, And if they don't listen to that, then tell the church, tell everybody and see if that will change that person's life. And if they don't listen to that, Matthew says, treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors, sinners. Mm. No wonder our church specializes in excommunications. We did for all too many years. We were excommunicating people for all kinds of crazy things. What good is that? What does that do? And then it dawned on me, not till Saturday, yesterday, how did Jesus treat the Gentile, the sinner, the tax collector? He called Matthew, and then he dined with him. He called Bartimaeus in, the, in, the, uh, in, in, in Jordan, get down from the tree. I'm coming to your house today to eat with you. It was not condemnation. We've got it wrong. It's not how you treat people with condemnation. You treat people, especially the sinner, with relationship, with kindness, with a meal. Would we not be a better church if we left communications and spent more time having meals with the people that disagree with us? Would we not? Of course we would. And we must do the same, my brothers and sisters. We must be people, when people disagree with us, when there are difficulties and problems. We can't judge people, we can't condemn them. Treat them as Jesus taught them and treated them. With kindness, with a relationship, with a meal, with love. And that's how we change hearts. That's how we change hearts. That's all I got today. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. I think that's an important message for us to hear on this day, the day when we honor the great women of our community of faith. So, Jenny, it's all yours. <laughs> You. Welcome.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Amateur Hour. I'm not a pro like Monsignor. Today we're going to play a game called Two Truths and a Lie. Has anyone ever played this game before? Two Truths and a Lie? Okay, a lot of you. For those of you who aren't familiar, it's a commonly used icebreaker or party game where you share three statements about yourself two of which are true, one of which is a lie, and others have to guess the lie. So I'm going to apply this game to our readings today. But first, to get us warmed up and make sure we know how to play, we're going to do a practice round about Monsignor. So I'm going to read three statements about him, and you all need to guess which one is a lie. These have all been approved by him, so nothing, nothing that's not family-friendly here. So I'm going to read them all, and then we'll vote. So the three statements are... Monsignor graduated from Fordham University, he's been the pastor of two parishes, he golfs every Thursday. So, if you think that the lie is the first statement, Monsignor graduated from Fordham University, put your hand up. Okay, we got quite a few hands there. If you think the lie is that he's been the pastor of two parishes, raise your hand. Got a few more hands on that one. And number three, if you think that he golfs every Thursday is a lie, raise your hand. Oh, you guys got to get with his golf game. He does golf every Thursday. (laughs) The lie is that he has been the pastor of two parishes. That's not true. He has only been the pastor of St. Monica. (laughs) Okay, so now let's apply the same approach to today's readings. I'm going to read three statements, two of which are true, one of which is a lie, and I ask that you tell me what you think the lie is. The first statement, conflict is hard but necessary in relationships. It is our responsibility to hold others accountable for their sin. And the purpose of love is joy. Okay, so raise your hand if you think you know the lie. The first statement, conflict is hard but necessary in relationships. Okay, got a few hands. Second, it is our responsibility to hold others accountable for their sin. A lot of hands on that one. And then the third, the purpose of love is joy. And some hands on that as well. Okay, let's examine each of these statements as we go through them. So the first statement is, Conflict is hard but necessary in relationships. That's true. A lot of you got that. Is anyone here from the Midwest? Yeah, a lot of us, right? Okay, growing up in the Midwest... Conflict was a foreign word to me, okay? Everything was always fine. You know, if we ignore our emotions, we can get through this, right? And yet, as I grew up, I quickly observed that one of the things that plagues most relationships and communities, especially churches, is our inability to handle conflict. We simply don't know how to live together, fight together, and stay together. And this is what Jesus addresses in the gospel today, In Matthew, he explains that conflict will happen in community and that it will be difficult. So if any of you are parents, and you've ever yelled from the front seat, don't make me pull this car over, right? Or if any of you are married, um, I've been married almost two years now, which is basically the equivalent of earning your MBA in conflict resolution, right, honey? Right, right? (laughs) I passed, I passed, I got my degree, okay. Then you know this, in meaningful relationships, conflict is inevitable and it's hard and we human beings don't like doing hard things and yet when we avoid conflict we are avoiding the very thing that will bring us growth intimacy love now luckily God knows this and he also knows that doing hard things makes us stronger being in relationship makes us stronger Which is why Jesus is very clear on what we need to do when we experience conflict in relationship. We shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't brood over it. We should address it quickly. Which brings us to our second statement. It is our responsibility to hold others accountable for their sin. This is true. Now, this statement has two critical parts. The first is whether or not we should hold people accountable for their sin. The second, then, if that is true, how do we do it? So let's start with whether or not we should. I have to tell you, I get a pit in my stomach just saying that I'm supposed to hold someone else accountable for their sin. Makes me uncomfortable. Remember, I'm from the Midwest. I hate conflict and confrontation. How am I supposed to tell someone that what I think they're doing is wrong? I know how I would react if someone said that to me. And yet... That's exactly what the first reading from Ezekiel says. It reads, If you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, the wicked shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. That's tough. This is the kind of reading that makes you not want to be a Catholic or become a Catholic. So Scripture says, yes, if you want to follow God and you see someone sinning, you have to say something. So now that we know the first part is true, the second part is, now that we know that we should do that, how do we do it? In Matthew, Jesus says that when we want to settle a conflict with someone, we need to do it face-to-face. And he uses the words between you and him alone. Now, what's the first thing we usually do when we have a conflict or disagreement with someone? We tell everybody else about it, right? The last person we go to is the person who wronged us. So first, Jesus says, go directly to that person. And the second reading reminds us to go to them with love, not with judgment. Constructively and positively, without revealing it to the whole world, see if you can find a resolution. These readings remind us that we are the body of Christ. So if one person sins, it affects all of us. In my experience, I have found that conflict while not enjoyable, can be deeply loving, and it can strengthen a relationship over time. Which brings us finally to our last statement. The purpose of love is joy. If you've been playing along, you know that this is the lie. The biggest lie that we are told by culture is that love is supposed to make me feel good. It's about how I feel when I'm with someone. It's about what I receive in a relationship. Love is not about making you happy. It's about making you holy. The very definition of love is putting another's good before your own. So if any of you are thinking about a conflict that you have in your own life that seems unresolvable, unforgivable, because, oh, Jenny, you just don't understand what they did to me was awful, or I'll never be able to get over it, or it's been such a long time I don't even wanna bring it up, let me remind you of something. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, the story that comes before today's Gospel is the parable of the missing sheep, where Jesus explains that the shepherd leaves the 99 and risks everything to go find the one. He puts another's good before his own. And the story that comes right after today's gospel in Matthew is Jesus' response to Peter's question about how often you're supposed to forgive someone who sins repeatedly against you. Seventy times, seven times. So if any of you are parents who've ever lost your kid at Disneyland, or if any of you are dog owners and your dog has run away, you know that you don't just go look for an hour and call it quits. You get out there, you find them. Or if your friend has ever hurt you, you don't break off the friendship. You sit down, you have a conversation about it, you forgive him 70 times, seven times. In each of these examples, you do the hard thing and you put another's good before your own. God knows what it means to do hard things out of love. He did the hardest thing imaginable. He sacrificed his only son for us. He understands deeply, intimately what love requires. So, if you think you can't resolve a conflict, the responsorial psalm that Merrick sang so beautifully today is a good reminder. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Sometimes God's going to tell us things that we don't want to hear. But the more that you know his voice, the more that you fall in love with him, the more that truth will be revealed and he will give you the strength, the courage, the confidence to do whatever he asks of you. So let's recap. We've got three truths now. Number one, doing hard things like dealing with conflict is necessary in relationships and makes us stronger. Secondly, it is our responsibility to lovingly and constructively address conflict face to face. And finally, third, love is not about being happy but about being holy. The last words that Jesus shares in today's gospel are, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now notice he doesn't say where two or three agree in my name, or where two or three get along, or are happy in my name. The Lord is so present to us even in conflict, especially in conflict. So this week, I invite you to do what Jesus did. Do the hard thing and love one another.